Shopify Masters is powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. To get an extended 30-day trial, visit shopify.com slash masters. I mean, there's still times now where there's like a little bit of self-doubt. Like, is this the real thing? There's, I don't think there's ever a moment of pure clarity. Hey, my name is Felix. I'm the host of Shopify Masters. Each week, we learn the keys to success from e-commerce experts and entrepreneurs like you. In this episode, you'll learn how to keep your subscription box customers subscribed, how to create themes for your monthly subscription box service, and the power of recording and sharing your own unboxing experience. Today, I'm joined by Danny Tang from Boxu. Boxu is a premium subscription service that delivers thoughtfully curated boxes of, of authentic Japanese snacks and teas to your door every month. It was started in 2016 and based out of New York City, New York, and has shipped over, over almost 1 million snacks worldwide. Welcome, Danny. Uh, thank you. Um, happy to be here, Felix. Yeah, excited, excited for you to be here. So tell us a little bit more about the, the brand. Like, Who are your target customers? Yeah, so I mean, Boxu as a brand, is actually it's in the logo itself if one looks at the website there's a english translator um like kind of romanization boxu and the character the japanese character is actually pronounced hako and as a brand it's kind of interpreted as a modern interpretation of traditional japanese culture and food um and my target demographic are people around the world that have this like same if not more passion for japanese food culture language all of that that i do um, and I kind of wanted to reach them, especially because there's kind of a dearth of authentic Japanese um, food and culture worldwide. I mean, it, it doesn't seem like it because there is a lot of it, but a lot of times it's um, a little bit more mass produced or slightly kind of targeted towards a like a anime manga crowd, which I mean, mm-hmm. I personally love as well. But to get into more of the like kind of traditional makers and modern um, kind of culture that is in Japan nowadays, I wanted to start Boxu. Got it. So what's your what's your background? How did you get into starting this business? Have you started companies in the past? Um, I This is actually my first kind of launch startup. I um, have been kind of doing entrepreneurship here and there, like as side gigs. Uh, for example, um, this is, I actually have never brought this up before, but in like high school, I used to um, to kind of raise a little bit of money for one of the groups I was part of, I would go and like buy donuts at a local donutery and like sell them for a dollar each at my school and um, like kind of raise a little bit of money that way. So I'm used to kind of doing side projects. However, in terms of like official company, this is um, the first. I did a startup with a friend before launching Boxu where we kind of worked on creating a marketplace for a while, um, but we never officially launched it. So it was just the two of us. But uh, in terms, yeah, Box has been the first for. Yeah, I mean, your your story is not that dissimilar from other successful entrepreneurs I've interviewed, where they start off in high school or or even earlier, you know, being a re- reseller of products that they buy in mass. <laughs> I think it's yeah. a it's a common trait that that you're it's in your DNA essentially. So you've uh, you've started a bunch of side projects. You you've attempted to start a lot of side businesses in the past before, but this is the one that has taken off. It sounds like what makes this one the one that has become successful? Why do you think that? What was what did you do in this particular instance that made it a success compared to your other attempts? Hmm. I think that one really big difference is the fact that I mean, this almost sounds a little cheesy, but is the fact that I'm so passionate about this company and what we do. Uh, in the past, a lot of times it was just to get kind of my feet wet or make a little extra money. But for this, 
um, especially because I was pivoting away from another startup that never took off. I would at this time I decided if I'm going to do a, no, a new startup and commit myself fully to it, it has to be something that I personally care about and have a bit of an advantage in. So like I speak Japanese fluently. I lived there for four years. Um, and like in the beginning when it was just me kind of toiling away every day, um, like writing all the guides and sourcing everything and packing everything. If it wasn't the fact that I personally just enjoyed it a lot, I don't. I think I might have given up at some point. Mm, I see what you're saying. So you mentioned one thing, which is an advantage, and you listed that the reasons why you had an advantage. Did you recognize this from the beginning that hey, I have like a competitive advantage here. I already have you know built-in knowledge, built-in passion for this particular uh, industry, or is that something that you look back on later and realize that, hey, that's that's why I am successful? Um, I would actually say it's a bit of both. I certainly, when I was pivoting and looking into what my next idea should be, I did think, okay, what are my advantages? Because I'd realized that you, it's hard to compete in I mean, the, the startup entrepreneurship space is incredibly competitive and there's a lot of other companies that have a lot of funding as well as just a lot more backing and resources. Um, like, what can I do that has a higher barrier to entry that I already possess? And so that's kind of why I kind of like sat down, thought about it, talked about it with mentors and friends and came up with this idea. Um is because I, like I said, I speak Japanese fluently. I have a lot of deep connections in Japan because I used to work there. And like these are just things you can't get like off the shelf or just like kind of figure out by browsing online. Um, but however, having said that, as time went on and I kept growing the business, there were other advantages that kind of popped up that I wasn't like fully cognizant of that also helped me grow the business. Can you say more about those? Um, for example, like... I, um, for example, I, my ethnic background is I'm Chinese. I was born in America. Uh, however, I speak Chinese fluently as well, in addition to Japanese. And eventually we first had our boxes printed in the States because that was just like small batches. And we had to kind of get like a faster iteration of, um, improving on the boxes. But eventually as we scaled up, um, and boxes can be expensive them in and of itself. So we had to go looking in China for kind of um, box printing. And so in that case, a lot of times it, you have another advantage if you can speak Chinese and speak directly with the, the box printers in Chinese too. So stuff like that also kind of came up. Um, and when I looked around, a lot of people were getting their boxes printed in China, especially if you're printing like 10, 20, 30,000 at a time. Got it. So now when you look at your next step, where you're, where you're going to take the company next, do you look for where you have advantages or is that something that, or do you, do you just make a decision without that in mind? Hopefully there are things in your favor that help you get to where you want to go. Hmm. At this point, now that we have more resources as a company and now that we have grown quite a lot, um, I would say that it's less daunting to go ahead and maybe enter a field where we have fewer advantages because we have kind of, in some regards, proven like trial and error, which is business models were kind of uh, experienced to leverage to succeed at these other new ventures. Um, having said that, I, I still would like to like kind of work on new expansions of things I'm passionate about personally. <laughs> mm. So you, you mentioned that uh, you, in order to compete in this space where there's there's a lot in e-commerce specifically where the people have backing, uh, it, it's important to have these advantages. So do, did you have any backing or is it completely bootstrapped business? Up until now, we're actually still completely bootstrapped. I mean, and certainly I put in a little bit of money in myself and um, like my I got a little bit of family money, but then in terms, we haven't got any traditional investments of sorts yet. 
Got it. So when you were first starting out, was this like the, a full-time thing you're working on or were you doing something else on the side to help, you know, fund the, the project, fund your life? Um, this, I, I went full time into this. I wanted to seriously, this was actually, I made a, a promise with myself that I was going to work on this full time for like at least six months to a year. And if it didn't work out, then I would like, I had enough runway in terms of my personal savings to last that long. But then if after a year it didn't work out, I was going to go look for a job again. Cause I had been mm-hmm. working on startups for like a, a, like a year already. Yeah. Right. So, and so did it take that long? Did it take six months uh, or a year or what did you find or did you hit that realization that this could be something big sooner than that? I would say that it wasn't necessarily a super aha moment per se, but it was like a slow building realization where I was working on it. I was grinding away at it. And then like, the numbers kept increasing. People were excited about it, got good feedback. Some things need to be improved on, improve on that. And I think like once I reached kind of grew big enough where I could like I was starting to get attention and people even were applying to work for me when I wasn't even like putting out job offers yet. I figured this could be a real thing. And then like the revenue uh, you know started increasing and coming in as well. And that that made me think that this was something that could get pretty big. Mm. And was that within the first six months or like how, how soon were before you felt comfortable that this was going the right direction? I mean, to be perfectly honest, just, you know, to for <laughs> to be honest with everybody out there. I mean, there's still times now where there's like a little bit of self-doubt. Like, mm. is this the real thing? There's I don't think there's ever a moment of pure clarity, but certainly to kind of stick with it, I would say it was at the uh, six month mark when we kind of hit our first milestone of having surpassed 100 subscribers, like way back in the early days of our business. Mm, got it. Yeah, so speaking of getting these subscribers, like how were you able to get your first batch of subscribers? How were you able to get people to to pay you to subscribe to your your service when you were, you know, didn't really have much going on yet? Yeah, I mean, great question. Um, that's always the, the big thing, right? With very little funding and bootstrapped, how do you get it out there? A lot of it was from content marketing, I guess, is the general term, but a lot of it was organic kind of content we created from writing articles for our blog to like really religiously working on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, like getting from 100 to 10,000 followers on Instagram was a lot of work. It took daily, if not, you know, multiple, like multiple times a week posting to like hashtagging and following and commenting and just like like making sure that you put out good things into the world so that people want to follow you and spread the word about you. On top of that, we were very, very focused on quality and curation. And so like, we didn't want to just put out a box just for the sake of it. Like from the very beginning, it's always been something I've been very um, focused on and careful about. And of course, you know, in the beginning, I had a couple of stumbles, but we always iterated on it as quickly as possible. Mm. So the content marketing that, that was involved, it, it was this just like uh, photography or, or writing articles? Like what, what was the content marketing? Uh, it was a combination of, of both of that and then some, where we would try and write lengthy, if possible, like 500, if not 1,000 word articles about different aspects of Japanese culture, um, from like a hot spring bathing to the proper way to eat a traditional meal in Japan, just to kind of really also... Um, improve our website SEO as well as kind of like show that we're like experts in this culture that we're trying to spread throughout the world. Um, on top of that, 
Um, one of the first teams that I built out internally was um, the design team, because that that was also something that is incredibly important to differentiate myself in the market is, does this company have great design, not only in terms of our website and the photography, but also in the package itself, the unboxing experience. So all of that was uh, a lot of focus was put into design. Hmm. So when you were creating these these articles, and you, you, you have a team now, I've seen that on, on the website at bokksu.com, you guys can check out the team that, that's working behind this now. Early on, was it just you or did you have people that were helping to create the, the content, to write these lengthy articles? Um, in the very, very beginning, it was just me and one contracted designer who like kind of helped out uh, because I, I have a background in online marketing in, as I mentioned, Japanese language, food and culture and in web development. But design has always been kind of a, uh, something that I never got my hands dirty on yet. And so I contract designer, he helped build at the very beginning with the terms of the assets of the logo and the photography. And then after that, it was me running with it. And then I built out, um, with starting to get interns to kind of help out with a few things. My first hire, um, then more interns, the second hire, and it's just been very organic growing since then. Got it. So you mentioned that you have to have a quality product. Like you said, the curation is an important aspect of this, which I think makes a lot of sense when you're talking about retaining customers, right? They are getting a quality product every month. Those are going to want to keep on on uh, keeping their subscription alive. But how do you show brand new visitors the value in the boxes? Like, How do you make sure that that comes across when they haven't been able to go through the unboxing experience, they haven't been able to see the packaging and see the, the quality that you are curating. How do you get that message across to them? Uh, yeah, great question. Especially, I think, in a lot of the subscription box space, it's hard to know what you're going to get because a lot of times it's a bit of a surprise. But for, uh, for us at Boxu, we are incredibly proud of the like local artisans that we work with in Japan that kind of have been creating these snacks and teas for hundreds of years. So we always publish exactly what's going to be in the box. We have a section of our website called Upcoming Box, where we not only list out the the snacks and descriptions as what you're going to get, but also we always try and a very in a timely manner upload an unboxing video where we unbox the video, and so they can see even the like quantity of items they get and what it feels like. So you get like a little bit of a taste of it in advance with your eyes, so that when you subscribe, you can then um, you know try it with your your your, your tongue later. Mm-hmm. Mm, I see. So you are using video. It sounds like to 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 show them what could, what's coming up in the box before before it actually is is available. So this this unboxing experience, something you, you, I think is an uh, important aspect that I think lots of uh, stores might ignore, where the packaging is sometimes an afterthought. What what is your process for designing a a, a, a you know a great unboxing experience? Uh, for me, part of it comes down to like what what do I kind of envision? Um, a, if you know what's the difference between a kind of curated premium subscription box and buying something on an e-commerce like marketplace like Amazon? And a big part of it is that if you buy just like normal goods or anything from like a normal e-commerce store, it just comes in a shipper box and there's just some packing material and it, it's very haphazardly put together. But and so to kind of how can we think outside of the box and kind of go beyond that is with the first step. And then the second step is to kind of, as I mentioned, reiterate, like the very, very first iteration of our box was a a store bought um, craft brown box that was just kind of like a bakery box. And I just like slapped a box sticker on it. So when I was doing the beta and kind of getting started. But after that, I would 
um, kind of iterated on that and that got it custom printed with the branding and then moving to the, as we got bigger and bigger to like, what's the most premium thing you can feel. And like, I kind of, um, fell in love with this concept of like this gift box that you're kind of gifting yourself something special every month, which is why our, our main classic box is actually a separate top and bottom lid piece, um, where you like kind of slide it off and it makes this, mm-hmm. this whoosh sound. gorgeous whoosh sound. Exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And, uh, kind of, you open it and the, we always make sure the first thing you see is this, what we call the, uh, the tasting guide. Where then the uh, tasting guide cover has some uh, beautiful image of Japan, whether it be a region or a food or a season. Um, in our April box that was Blossoming Spring, we had um, gorgeous pictures of cherry blossoms as soon as you open the box. It's kind of like transparent to you. Yeah. Yeah. So this, uh, th- this process you went through, if for anyone else out there that wants to improve on their, their packaging, um, improve on the unboxing experience, what, what, what tips do you have there on, on finding vendors to work with to, to create something for you? Yeah, um, there are so many vendors out there nowadays. It can definitely be a little bit tough. Um, I've personally found a couple of good ones, um, and a lot of it has to do just like shopping around. I would say, I mean, my mistakes <laughs> that hopefully other people can learn from is that sometimes I didn't plan far enough in advance. I mean, that's, that's, I suppose that's a, a big problem for a lot of startups, but where I would, um, the deadline would be coming up and I would just have to kind of go with one. But the, my best advice would be to try a, like two to three different vendors. There's, um, if you just Google around, there's a whole bunch of them out there, um, that will do, um, kind of box printing for subscription boxes. Um, submit your, like, you know, uh, the design, get like a couple of sample boxes printed and see which quality like better because the quality is, can be vastly different between them. And that'll mm-hmm. be the first step to really ensure that initial quality. And then from then on, you can then kind of keep working with them or make me keep shopping around for um, box vendors. Another great way, I would say, is to look for referrals and recommendations. Um, I One of the ways I got the, the current vendor we work with in, in China, even all the way over there, was from a referral from a, a Facebook group called Subscription School, I believe, um, where the people were kind of talking about the vendors they used. Got it. So do they, when you have a design in mind, what, what kind of assets do you need to provide these, these vendors so that they design the, the box or they print the box, they create the box the way that you want? I believe that you, uh, I, like as I mentioned, I personally don't handle a lot of design, but you, you would submit a PDF with the exact dimensions and kind of the shape of the box. And mm-hmm. there are these like kind of die lines that they can give you that's templated. I mean, the vast majority of boxes, um, unless you're going for something incredibly custom made, is they, like the templates and dialines exist. So you can get those and kind of work off of those to then submit them. Got it. So you mentioned uh, planning far in advance. And I think with a, a business model like a subscription service, it's one of those models that can become like a logistical nightmare. You have to coordinate so many different things. Everything is on a timeline. How far in advance do you have to prepare for, for an upcoming box? Oh, that's a really good question because that has uh, the answer has evolved over time for that. <laughs> like, so like uh, in the very beginning, we were um, literally planning just a month or two before, just because things were just so tight. We had so little manpower. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, now that things are a little bit more flexible, um, and we've set up our um, kind of system a little bit better, we do plan at least six months in advance. Um, so we, for example, it's you know uh, around May or June right now. Um, we already started planning October and November and like kind of getting ramped up for the holiday season too, which is always a big time for us. So um, that gives us a little bit more breathing room when the rolls around. So it's not as stressful too. 
Mm. Now, how do you estimate things like inventory in that case where you, you, you don't know for sure how many customers or how many subscribers you'll have six months down the line, but then you're going through this process of, of uh, procurement already? Um, yeah, I mean, that, that's, always, that's always a big struggle is how to get those, the perfect forecasting number where you're not under, you're not over. Um, I, a lot of it for us recently has been very data-driven, which is definitely the way that um, I'm excited for us to go into the future running the business that way. I mean, last year it was less so because we didn't have data to kind of base off of. Um, but we, we kind of looking at last year's trends and like kind of the peaks and valleys and uh, kind of factor into our own personal like goals of how hard we want to push to increase the traffic and increase the conversions in for the that month. Um, and so a lot of it is the kind of uh, basing off the month after month or season or quarter after quarter growth. Hmm. So once you do have someone that's subscribing for the first time, what what are some ways to, I think that the magic number everyone looks at is the churn rate, right? How often are they coming hmm. back to, to and not canceling the service? What are some ways that you found to be, to help you successfully navigate that to make sure that customers are consistently coming back? I think one thing we touched on already was making sure it's a quality product, making sure that you're actually delivering on the promise of, of them, uh, the, the promise that you're making to them when they are giving you their money for the subscription. But anything else to help to kind of remind them of the value to make sure that they continue to to subscribe oh yeah we we um we try our best to basically pull out all the stops and actually a good part of it that i learned from is from like even shopify articles there's been a lot of amazing shopify how-to articles and kind of how to retain customers and win back loyalty um things we do include uh, the day after, anytime a new customer buys from our site, I have an email that goes out to them that's personally actually from my personal email address. It's not just a like a support email, thanking them for you know signing up and that they're always welcome to give me any feedback because um, we always want to keep improving the service. And that kind of little personal touch has gotten me a lot of really warm replies from customers saying, wow, thank you. It's so rare that companies nowadays would kind of, um, you know, spend this time to listen to their customers. And this is something that doesn't take too much time because you can automate it, but yet still get that like direct pulse on what your customers want or need or have trouble with. That's one thing too. Inside the box, in addition to, of course, the, the high, cur- high quality curation of snacks and the tea pairing and the tasting guide, um, I always include what we internally call a founder card, but it's kind of like a, a card that is from me that is like kind of explaining about like thanking them or maybe talking about some new changes of improvements in the service. So they always kind of feel like they're part of this like inner circle of the company. Um, and the funny anecdote is that in the very, very beginning when we only had like a handful, a few dozen subscribers, I used to hand write those cards <laughs> just to have that personal touch. Um, but then once we started getting bigger, I couldn't do that anymore because it I, I was literally spending hours handwriting these cards. Um, and then I started, we moved to uh, me just signing them, but then now um, it's it's all printed with like my signature kind of printed on it. But it, it, you know that after a while, you kind of have to find the scalable ways mm-hmm. for things as you evolve up. For sure, yeah, I, I can't imagine with a million snacks shipped out <laughs> that you could personally write a letter for everybody. That'd be your full job, maybe, maybe, maybe more than that. So, what are some of the your favorite pieces of feed constructive, or what is maybe some some of your favorite uh, constructive feedback that you you've gotten from this this uh, kind of open communication with your customers that you've been able to implement? Oh wow, um, there's been every everything right from constructive feedback to positive ones, but I've uh, let's see. So some of the constructive ones to start off on that is 
Um, even just like UX design things like, oh, during the checkout process, I was confused, which is the shipping address or billing address or why I had to do it this way, which allowed me to immediately just go in and make those changes, especially because mm-hmm. Shopify and um, I use Recharge as a subscription platform, make it pretty easy to make some of these changes um, to things like, oh, like I really like these snacks, but these weren't really like to my taste. And like, if I get enough of that feedback, then I kind of know how to like iterate and improve the curation for future months to even like the fact that they really enjoy receiving this product and how they share it and how they kind of use it. I think one of my favorite positive feedbacks was, um, this, uh, granddaughter that whose grandmother is Japanese and has been living in the States for um, like over 20 years or something and hasn't been back to Japan since. And that like she subscribed to it for her grandmother so that the grandmother would get like a kind of a piece of her home every single month delivered to her. And her grandmother was just delighted the first time she got the box. And it kind of really brought the family even closer together. And that made me so happy. Yeah, I can imagine that that will certainly get you going, right? To, to work hard on the business, to bring that kind of joy to someone's life. <laughs> so, so I'm looking at the website, and one thing I noticed was that there are different frequencies for, for the boxes. There's you know, the every month, every three months, six months, and 12 months. How did you figure that these were the frequencies that people wanted? Well, so for us, we were trying to set it up in a way where it's still very flexible. We like to be very open and transparent. I mean, as I mentioned, from the feedback to even just our policies, um, our customers can um, pause, skip, deactivate anytime. Um, and one of the things we wanted to do is allow them that flexibility, but then also if they love the product and want to get it more, they can subscribe to three months or six months or nine months at a you know prepaid. And then that way it just kind of rolls in without them worrying about it on a monthly basis in terms of payment. Uh, we, I mean, I guess we, we could have added in a nine month. It just felt like there'd be a little too much option because you can just do three months for three times. So mm-hmm. just one, three, six, 12, I think was like a standard when I did my competitive research in the industry as well. Got it. And so you mentioned earlier about how there, there's an upcoming box that, that, you, that you, you display on the website, but then also I see here that there are past boxes that you have listed. What was the purpose behind that? What's the purpose of showing people what's, what's uh, been released in the past? It's um, kind of what I was mentioning a little bit earlier, which is that we're incredibly proud of each and every snack and tea and mobile product that we put into our boxes. So we want to, people to see what has come in the past. Like uh, every theme is very meticulously curated. Um, our sourcing team works very hard and there's a lot of pressure on them to kind of perform, especially if a month does really well. There's always this expectation you got to go kind of go better the next month. So we want, we don't want to lose that kind of historical pride. And so we list that for people to see like, this is what was in previous months. And this is kind of what you could get um, as an example of future months because we publish the upcoming box. But if people are wondering what is going to like kind of come later in the summer or in the fall, they can look historically and be like, oh, it looks like every year in the fall they do like a fall, like gourmet fall harvest box. And every year in the spring they do like a blossoming spring box. But the curation is a little bit different. Um, so they can kind of expect that year round to see what they get. On top of that, I want to kind of show the evolution of the company. Because if you actually go pretty far back to our first boxes, the curations are are different than what they are now. Like we've improved over time where in the very beginning, we used to have uh, five or six different types of products, but uh, like multiples of each. Um, nowadays, we've increased both the quantity and the variety just because our supply chain has gotten stronger. We have better relationships with our suppliers. And uh, we've gotten that feedback from customers that they want more variety and different types in the box. And so um, I'm kind of, you know, despite the fact that the older boxes 
look a little bit emptier in terms of the variety. It's I want people to see that we've improved and we've listened to their feedback. Yeah, I think I think it, it serves as much uh, value as the upcoming boxes, just because you can see what what's what's already possible. What are some things that uh, what are the promises that the company's already delivered on, and be able to see that I think builds a lot of trust with the with the visitor and makes the or encourages them to to try it out. So you, you when you are when there are when there's a product that you release or when there's a box that you release that has a product in it that everyone's super excited about, they love a lot. What do you do with that? Like, what are, are you able to put that in a future box or is it just a one-time deal only or do you sell that one off on your website like what's the process when you get the feedback that someone that lots of the the customers love a particular product yeah for the first maybe year of the company um when i first started that feedback was really helpful for kind of iterating as mentioned and knowing what to put in the box but then it was a bit of a um, so many customers ask, like, oh, how do I get this this delicious, like, white strawberry snack product that I can't get anywhere else? And that was, like, something that we then worked hard on. It took us about six months to a year to then kind of fully launch what we call the uh, global boxu market. Um, and now, like, starting from January of this past year, we do actually sell many of our popular products on-demand, one-off on our store, where people can lend and they can either go through there from our Box and Market page, where it has its beautiful collection of all of the snacks laid out by category, or they can go into the past boxes and they can actually click in through there and they can um, order the things that they really enjoyed. And so, and what is especially wonderful about that is that for us, we have direct relationships with over 50 snack and tea uh, makers, like artisanal local makers in Japan, and we are the global exclusive retailer for most of them. So if people really, really liked some specific product, they have to get it through us, otherwise they can't get it. So we definitely needed to provide that on-demand marketplace service, and I'm very happy that we have. It's, that's, been, that's been pretty tough as well, but it's been getting a lot of great feedback from our customers. Mm. So, what's your approach when you do, when you are when you've uh, as a team identified a particular product that you want to add into the box? How do you begin the process of finding a a, uh, a vendor that that sells it? And what is how do you approach them? Like, is it is it a process that's pretty well well trodden where they understand the, the understand the business model that you're coming with, or something that you have to educate the the, the vendors on? Um, um, it was. It's definitely not a well-trodden business model in Japan, actually, to be honest. It was very much a struggle in the beginning, and it's still sometimes difficult now. We've gotten a lot better at it, at the uh, kind of almost sales pitch to the suppliers, but um, we have to do a lot of education because subscription boxes or just this, a lot of e-commerce in general hasn't quite taken off nearly as much um, in Japan as it has in the rest of the America and the West. Uh, so we, when we first contact them, first and foremost, it has to be in Japanese. And so you have to be fluent in not only the language, but the business culture in terms of emails and in terms of kind of like uh, assuaging any concerns they might have about us as a company that's outside of the country. And so once we kind of start making that contact with them and talking to them, explaining the product, um, we, we try and kind of sell them on the fact that we have this worldwide audience um, of people that they can then reach, their product can reach too, and that it's really a great way for them to kind of expand their global reach. And that kind of usually works with some of them. Are you one of the first people to approach them with this idea, like, or, or have they heard it from other businesses in the past? For the majority of our um, makers, we are the first that's approached them about it, oh, yes. Okay. Um, yeah, a lot of our, um, and kind of other competitors out there that might be doing something similar or something kind of related, primarily work through like importers or wholesalers. Um, we're the first that actually directly contact with these like local uh, makers in Japan. 
Got it. So wh- wh- why do you think the other competitors aren't taking that same approach? Like what, what are the not necessarily disadvantages, but what, what makes it a more complicated approach where you're working directly with, with, these, uh, with the, the source, essentially? Uh, part of it has to do with the fact that um, any competitors that we may have mostly work with a more mass-produced snacks. So if we want to talk specifically Japanese snacks, um, people may be familiar with like Paki or Haichu. Mm-hmm. Um, these are things that are uh, pretty mass-produced by the big makers in Japan. And to, in order to acquire these products, you generally have to work through the wholesalers because they, they sell um, to the wholesalers, they produce in big quantities. Um, but in order to, if we want to get more of the like authentic local stuff that you get in like Hokkaido or Kyushu or region Okinawa, these like amazing um, regions in Japan. You you got to go to the directly to the manufacturers because a lot of times they don't they've never they don't sell the wholesalers. They kind of just sell themselves because they're like a small team of fifty that that's been around for decades or, or centuries. You know, um, like passing down to the families and such. Got it. So I want to take this a little back a little bit. So when you are, before you get to this part where you identify the product and everything, when you guys sit down, it's okay. We have a box coming up. You know, six months down the road. What is that meeting like? What is the what is the what are the considerations that come into play when you guys begin to design a box for the first time? Uh, we w- I would say that a lot of it comes down to what fits the right uh, month or season um like uh, uh now that we've been in um, you know business for a good two years actually uh, this is our two-year anniversary may 2016 is when we launched so it's been a pretty exciting ride in the first year there was a lot of trial and error i mean certainly where we never done this before so we would try out a theme that was maybe exciting or fun where we would we would personally like and then we would see the customer feedback from it whether it be through emails or through um we have a review section on our website as well where every single product and our website can be reviewed by our customers and so we take those that feedback very seriously as well and as now we have two years of data collected we know what kind of what customers like and we also still know what we want to share with them we it's always difficult to strike this balance so for example as i mentioned six months from now um in october there's like you know this fall harvest and japanese people like eat very seasonally um, they they eat only certain foods in the fall and certain foods in the spring. Like as I mentioned, like cherry blossom flavored things and strawberries in the spring, chestnuts and like persimmons in the fall, which is a very common uh, fall um, food. Um, sometimes it also has to do with the weather in terms of the uh, like chocolate. We ship quite a lot in the winter, but in the summer we have to actually cut back on it because with international shipping from Japan to the world, the package is in transit for weeks at a time and could potentially melt halfway through. So all of those things come into consideration. Hmm. So the you recommend then if anyone is creating a subscription service to have themes around each box. I would think it depends on the the box they're trying to sell. If they're trying to actually, if it's more of a discovery box where they can learn more about um, some culture or or some like you're trying to teach people things, or they're trying to kind of give them this full unboxing experience, then yeah, I think themes are great. That's been one of the biggest positive feedbacks we've gotten from our customers is how they really enjoy that it's not just eating delicious, authentic snacks. It's also that they get to learn about Japan in a meaningful way every month while like while they're eating and having a great time. Got it. So I'll talk a little about the website. I think it's a beautifully designed website. So I recommend anyone out there check it out. Was this all done in-house with your designers or did you outsource any of this? 
Uh, it, it was actually all done in-house. Um, Shopify made it incredibly easy, uh, the, where everything is templated and there's themes. Um, I personally also use, uh, my my favorite is Out of the Sandbox, is one of the theme developers, and they have this wonderful theme, theme called Turbo, which has all these really great features from sections to um, being able to just add video and kind of move things around. And it's also an incredibly fast theme. So things load very quickly. So it increases your SEO. And thanks to the, just how easy the templating was, I, w- I was able to start. I actually launched the website by myself in just like a week uh, when I first got started. Yes, it's um, one thing I've heard is that lots of people can launch the website without even having to pay for it right away with to make sure you launch within that, that trial period that you get. So what, what, personally for you, what, what are some of your favorite parts of, of your of the website? What, what what's are some of your favorite pages on the website? Uh, for me, I um, this was kind of an idea that I personally championed in the company and um, has borne fruit in terms of its usefulness in forming community. Um, I mean, you know, I, in terms of direct, like direct sales may not be as important, but like in terms of just fostering this community, which is what I care a lot about with Boxu Worldwide, um, is our community page. So there's a page on the website where we like not only pull in Instagram feed of like people that post Boxu around the world. So you can see that like people in Sri Lanka to um, Korea to America, of course, and to Europe are enjoying their Boxus in many different scenarios. We also have something called Member Spotlight, where we actually reach out to a Boxu member that's been with us for a while and we interview them in like a very kind of um, loose, cute, kind of a casual 10-question FAQ type of situation. And um, and they respond and they include a headshot. And so it's kind of like the multi-faces of Boxu, around, Boxu members around the world. So this uh, community page, are you using a specific uh, application to pull in all of these social media posts? Uh, yeah, there's a, there's one called Juicer that's um, fairly reasonably priced and does a great job. They've, they have really good support too. Every time I reach out, they respond really quickly, and it it really cleanly pulls in um, Instagram. I think it's like twenty dollars a month. Um, highly recommend it. In terms of the member spotlight, that's um, simply just another Shopify blog. That's like a separate blog from our normal blog that we create and I pull in. Got it. So you mentioned a couple of things so far. You mentioned recharge. You mentioned that you're using out of the sandboxes, turbo theme for the website, juicer. There's another application to pull in all those social media posts. What other applications do you use to help run the, the business or help run the store? Uh, let's see. There's there's a lot of great ones. And I am also very appreciative of the the support I've gotten from a lot of them. This like a really fun one recently that came up because of this customer feedback, as I mentioned, and we were always listening to them, was a customer reached out asking, wow, I wish there was a way that I could um, just add this product to my wish list so that I can buy it later because I can't buy it right now. And I was like, oh, wow, that sounds like that might be a lot of work to have to code that myself. And when I just looked around and shop of App Store, there's this app called Wishlist Plus that did exactly everything we wanted and needed. And I was able to launch that within minutes. And then the customer was delighted that we took their feedback seriously and immediately launched it in our store. Um, on top of that, there's a... Um, we use we use Clavio for, um, of course, our, our mail mail list because it's integrated very closely with Shopify. Gorgeous is what we use for our customer service tickets. Uh, we used to use Zendesk, but because Gorgeous is specifically a Shopify integration, it can pull in a lot more data um, into its API interface that Zendesk may not be able to. And it also integrates with Recharge and Clavio and all these other. The ecosystem is is quite wonderful, so it makes work a lot more efficient and fast. 
And, and the CRM, gorgeous. What is what kind of data does it pull in that that uh, you're able to use? Uh, for example, when you're looking at a ticket inside Gorgeous, um, on the right-hand side, there's widgets that show you the customer's last orders, their lifetime spend, their shipping address, tracking number, if you zip a tracking number. You can also see um, it pulls in from Recharge if they're an active subscriber or not, and um, you can see how many points that they've accumulated through Loyalty Lion, um, where you also use Loyalty Lion for a loyalty program. And... Um, and not only can you see it, but you can actually modify those things in Gorgeous. You can cancel their last order, you can refund them, you can give them updates, and it automatically just kind of like pulls that in, and you don't have to type. It's all done with macros, and it's very seamless. So, so because the big part of your of the the uh, the experience for for the customers is this unboxing that you go through, do you guys make use of like influencers or working with other people to to unbox your products? Uh, yes, that was actually one of our early strategies as well, in addition to the organic content and Facebook and Instagram was with influencers. Um, and that's been that's been definitely a tough trial and error in a lot of ways where um, it's, it's influencer strategy can work, but it is it, it, there's there's not a lot of consistent, easy conditions to help figure out which who works or not. A lot of it has to do with putting it a lot out there and see what kind of what comes back to you. Um, for us, we we experimented with Facebook. We experimented with Instagram, YouTube, Pinterest, like a whole bunch of the social media platforms and influences there. Um, what we found has been most effective has been YouTube. And specifically, it has to be um, YouTube influencers that have really engaged audiences and the, that the influencers themselves really love eating. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. um, our product is so kind of uh, hands-on and um, sensual in a lot of ways. You have to unbox it and show the snacks and eat it and talk about it. Like a good five to ten minute, you know, YouTube video it kind of gets the job done a lot better than like a, an Instagram post. Right, that makes a lot of sense. So, what are the future plans? Like, what do you guys have planned for for the remainder of this year? Like, where do you want to see the business go over the over the next year? Yeah, we ha- we have a lot of big plans actually. Now that. Um, I've built up a team of, um, like as I mentioned, when I first started, it was just me. Um, but then now we have a team of um, nine full-time starting in June. And so it's been a really exciting growth from Bootstrap up, up until this. And uh, you know, once we have everybody in and all trained up, we want to start expanding to not only other boxes, but to really build out our boxing market. Uh, we really believe that in addition to the subscription box where we can educate and teach people about our wonderful products, we want to be that portal to authentic Japanese products to the world where people can buy it on demand anytime from our website. And that's going to be one of our big focuses. On top of that, I personally love tea. I drink tea every day, multiple times a day. And I want to kind of start building that out a little bit more. Where up until now, we always put in a complimentary tea pairing that kind of goes with the snacks of that month or goes with the theme. Um, in the future, we potentially would... Uh, work directly with tea farmers in Japan to kind of create our own Baksu branded teas. Um, as now that we've kind of built up a reputation as like this purveyor and curator of premium Japanese products, to then sell that on our market, put it in our box, and just kind of get that into shelves around the world. Awesome. So Baksu.com, B O K K S U.com is a website. Thank you again so much for your time, Danny. Thank you, Felix. I really enjoyed talking with you about this. Here's a sneak peek for what's in store in the next Shopify Masters episode. In our category, at least, upsells sort of creates this distraction and it's like, oh, I'm not sure if I need that upsell. You know what? Let me save this page and I'll come back. 
Thanks for listening to Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. To start your store today, visit shopify.com slash masters to claim your extended 30-day free trial. Also, for this episode's show notes, head over to shopify.com slash blog.